0: Hello internet friends and welcome back to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast by opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell.
1: And I'm Alex Ruiz and as always we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your life in that order.
0: That's right and Alex I'm sad. Go on. I'm sad because I'm back in my couch in my quote-unquote studio aka apartment but I'm, I'm sad that your face isn't pressed up against mine and we're not sharing a microphone
1: yeah there's, there is, there is. I will admit something to you there is something about that the scent of your hot breath just, <laughs> oh, <God>. just pushing <laughs> pushing against the meatier parts of my face that just the humidity of of your exhales extolling themselves into my nostrils and eyelids <laughs>
0: oh man well with a with a passion like ours i guess i guess it's better to burn out than to fade away
1: oh jesus christ no <laughs> i just it, it, it's funny because like it was a super blast to do record an entire episode like actually facing one another yeah. it'd be great if we could could do more of that i, I don't know who knows like there, there's still there's still a chunk of me that's like has this pipe dream thought that where I go like in like ten years we could be doing like love hate relationship live shows and we'll be on a stage with each other and and talking about this with like celebrity guests and it's probably never gonna happen but I like...
0: mean never say never we're actually gonna be getting into that exact sort of scenario today.
1: <laughs> I mean yeah that's that. Yeah, uh, let's go ahead and just call that deliberate foreshadowing. Let's let's give me let's give me some credit of and course. call it deliberate foreshadowing.
0: I knew you meant to do that. I knew it.
1: <laughs> you your confidence in me is flabbergasting.
0: <laughs> so, um, how are you doing, man? What 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 have you been up to? Uh
1: so as I was telling I was telling you before we got started here. Uh yesterday, uh Stephanie and I decided to attend a hip hop dance class.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Uh and and first off, it was it was wonderful fun. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was truly exhausting. I actually had to stop at about like minute 35 and just go stand in the back, which here's the other side of it is like this is a hip hop dance class where like I'm other than the instructor, I was the only guy there, so it looks real creepy when I'm just standing in the back, panting. Yeah, like I, I seriously spent like half the time just staring up at the ceiling or at the floor, just like I promise I'm not staring at asses. I just can't keep up with you all. I'm not a pervert. I just was looking for Turtle Man doll.
0: <laughs> oh, well, you're a good, good man.
1: Yeah, and I, and I, and I realized that like, I. Y'all, I'm a pretty good dancer, and I am invested in being a good dancer, and holy shit, I haven't learned a new dance move since, like, 2007, 2008, like, so this dude up at the front of this dance class is just popping off some, some random ass moves, and I'm sitting here going, like, I, I remember when Sean Kingston was a thing.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, he's not... He's not dead, is he? No, no, he just had a... No,
1: but, no, and Andrew, I I remember watching, like, I think it was, like, DirecTV at my parents' house, and they have the DirecTV channel, and part of that is they have, like, these Guitar Center studio sessions, which is, like, this interview show <laughs> with, clearly, with the artists that they can get yeah. when it's the DirecTV Guitar Center studio sessions. They did one with Sean Kingston, that man looks exhausted. He is so he is he is one of the only interviews where I'm like I'm watching this interview and it's intercut with him like performing his songs. He seems out of breath doing all of his old songs. Like he sings them. He can't necessarily hit all the high notes, but he'll sing them. But he looks so out of breath, so tired during the interview. He straight up looks the interviewer in the face like two thirds of the way through, and he just just like man, this is one of the longest interviews I've ever had, and like I just. And I'm like, this is a half-hour show, Sean Kingston. What the hell? <laughs>
0: Take better care of yourself, please.
1: <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. Like, you you and Shadi did not work out, apparently. Uh, but, uh, you you're not well, my friend. Please go get get a good night's rest. Like, he he did not look like he was in good shape at all.
0: Oh, that's so unfortunate. You know, we record these in advance. I'm going to go ahead and put good thoughts into the universe. Please, please, for the love of everything, uh, Sean Kingston still be alive by the time this comes <laughs>
1: out.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: that'd be the... Oh, I mean... Yeah. He's, he's trying. God bless him, yeah, he's trying. Yeah, it's like yeah. putting out albums and touring and nobody cares but like he's trying
0: to go back to um the hip-hop dance class i'm i'm very happy and excited that you guys did that um around the time nsync got big i was around 9 10 and i got a wild hair up my ass that i wanted to do that uh and i remember my mom taking me to a hip-hop dance studio that was like doing like classes for kids and stuff. And I, I think I, I tried it maybe once or twice was horrible at it. I've, I've never been really able to dance at all. And it was around the moment, maybe in the second class, um, the teacher kind of like had everybody do their, their, their intro and, and how long have they been doing this? And so I'm standing in a studio full of other, like 10 to 16 year olds and hearing, Oh, I've been doing this for five years. Oh, I've been doing this for 10 years. Oh, I really like the Backstreet Boys, and this is my first dance session ever. Okay, bye. And I ran away and never went back.
1: <laughs> oh sweetie. Oh, sweetie, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, little little baby Andy trying to dance like Chris Kirkpatrick, like oh yeah, oh. And I mean, in fairness, you dance like Chris Kirkpatrick now.
0: <laughs> yeah i dance like chris kirkpatrick and i look like joey fatone
1: <laughs> oh yeah. could be worse like chris kirkpatrick is chip skylark on the fairly odd parents oh like... my
0: god that's right okay no that just okay that means so much more to me now thank you sir <laughs> <laughs> oh your shiny teeth and you i got down I just... to icky vicky
1: Hey Vicky you're so so icky. Just the thought of being around you makes me oh so sicky. Oh, yeah man. I mean that was that was all Chris Kirkpatrick. Like yeah. I guess Butch Hartman was just like, okay, so we got Jay Leno to be the Crimson Chin. <laughs> we got Adam West to be an Adam Westier version of Adam West. Now all we need is Chris Kirkpatrick to be Chip Skylark.
0: We need Teen Heartthrob Adjacent. Go. Oh, <laughs> Oh, uh, well, this has been, I think, a delightful little uh, cold open we got going on, man. Would you like to get into the show?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, awesome. your turn to bring up the love. So, preface, this is a subject on which I have very, very little limited info on. Like, they've been explained to me several times. But I don't have a ton of background. So, I will be ceding the floor to you, probably asking a number of questions and making some comments.
0: I love it. Yeah, and and my preface, this... I mean, people who've read the episode title, you know we're talking about the McElroy brothers, who are the three brothers who have the podcast My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking about this, and I've been noodling this love for a while now, but the idea of talking about how much I love a podcast on my podcast (laughs) is is at best just a little meta, and if not entirely self-indulgent, but they're they're wonderful people. They absolutely deserve to be on uh one of my loves and I wanted to go ahead and talk about them now before their star goes any higher. And it it's I'm I'm happy to uh explain and educate you and anyone else about the McElroy brothers. So, you know, you it, you, you talked about maybe in 10 years we'll be doing live shows. Um all the way back in the yesteryear of 2010, uh, these three brothers from Huntington, West Virginia started my brother, my brother and me, uh, which is an advice show for the modern era. Um, in actuality, it is a, uh, comedy improv podcast that takes the, the, the format they've always used is they take all of the worst and most insane and zany questions off of Yahoo answers And then basically riff, improv, give horribly unhelpful advice, and just altogether goof around. This weekend I was in a department store,
1: and in the clearance section there were men's underwear. I only spotted one pair that I liked, and I started making my way to the checkout counter when I realized (laughs) that in buying a single pair of underwear and nothing else, the checkout lady would almost certainly think that I had recently pooped
0: my pants, which I did not, I swear. I circled back around and grabbed a second pair of underwear that I did not like, just to save the embarrassment. Was this all in my head, or did I make the right move? That's from Not-So-Soggy, Bottom Boy, in corduroys."
1: No, the problem is, you've just sent the message to the checkout person that you have recently pooped your pants and you're planning on doing it again.
0: And this show has blown up, I mean, I have a, I, I, I like to think I have a somewhat broadened podcast palettes i know you've actually been listening to them longer than me but i'm no slouch when it comes to podcasts and i gotta say these these good boys have become one of the most popular successful podcasting acts i've ever seen to call them just podcasters now does them a disservice because these guys have and i say this without hyperbole created a media empire for themselves it's it's really something crazy so you have justin travis and griffin mcelroy and they have really no other credits to their name they they truly were just three brothers who they had all moved out of the house and basically wanted, I I feel like, I've gone back and listened to their first couple episodes, I feel like it was really almost an excuse to just kind of stay in touch and continue joking around and goofing around with each other, um, which I absolutely admire.
1: Huh. Yeah. I've uh, never heard of anyone doing anything like that, Andrew. Yeah, never no. at all.
0: No, it doesn't hit close to home at all.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, um, let, me, let me interject here. Um, yeah. So with what I understand of the show, uh, it was explained to me that it did start off kind of as this project for, as you said, like these three brothers who I guess at the time were not really, I, th- I think it was explained to me that they were, they did not have a super close relationship at the time. They had drifted apart. So it was kind of a little thing where they said, okay, let's work on this cool little creative project and just, you know, get after it. Is that that that's accurate.
0: Yeah, that's accurate. You know, at the time of starting it, the three of them had uh, all moved out of uh, their parents' house and were pretty much spread a- across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, now,
1: go ahead. And and for context, and for context, 2010. Like it is so amazing to think of where podcasting has come since then. Because I'm yeah. pretty. I'm thinking back to like podcasts that are around in 2010. Like I can think of like. I, I think I think Smodcast was a thing, like Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier's podcast, which eventually spun out their whole podcasting network. Maybe was, I don't think the crack I don't think the crack podcast was out by then. Was Fat Man maybe, on maybe Batman a thing yet? No, see that that came out later with the like post Smodcast stuff. Because Smodcast was Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier kind of just going, all right, well we got we like to do po- we like to talk all the time let's put a microphone here this podcast thing is a thing cuz people are downloading you know radio shows on their ipods which everyone that's how podcasts got their name there used to be a thing called an iPod uh, yeah, history now we know and knowing is half the battle but yeah so and then from there they spun off tell em steve dave which was Some of the comic book guy people and that or comic book men people, that was um Brian Johnson and Walt Flanagan, and then I think they added a third person. It was just those two podcasts for a while, and then it just Fat Man on Batman started, Education, um Uh Radio
0: Spoilers,
1: a whole Radio Lab, I think see Radio Lab I think was one of the things that picked it up not long after that twenty ten period. Oh
0: yeah, totally
1: um yeah citizen radio was happening at that time but again that was when like nobody was po- i think democracy now started doing their news show as a podcast uh i think that might have been part of it but yeah like your 2010 podcast scene landscape
0: yeah
1: yeah like nightvale wasn't a thing at the time like yeah. as hard as that might be for some people to think about like there was no welcome to nightvale in 2010 i'm pretty sure I don't think they started till like twenty twelve, maybe twenty thirteen.
0: Yeah. So for context, I mean, these guys were really just throwing their their thoughts, their their collective show, their product, pretty much into the ether of the time. Um, mm-hmm. I think that really reinforces the idea that uh, my brother and my brother and me did not start as oh, we're gonna we're gonna make the the most popular comedic podcast of all time it was it was just a vehicle for these three brothers like you said to kind of work on uh bridging the gaps in their relationship and just hang out and and have fun you know they're they're all they are all extremely creative individuals um Mm -hmm. to say they're not would be to sell them short it it is a improv podcast and it's a, a damn funny one at that, you know. And the guys, Griffin and Justin, two of the brothers, they wrote for the video game magazine, Poly, uh, not magazine, the video game website Polygon for a long time. Travis uh, has, to the best of my knowledge, all, always pretty much exclusively been a podcaster. Like I think his job before that was working at a PetSmart or some such. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah, <laughs> but they are they, they're extremely creative. Dedicated individuals, and so yeah, they started in 2010, and somewhere along the line, they got hooked up with um, one of the bigger podcasting networks, and the show just has blown up since then. I think uh, one or two years ago, it became an actual TV show, "My Brother, My Brother and Me," which premiered on uh, a network called CISO, which was supposed to be sort of a comedy streaming service. Oh. Um, CISO has since died
1: Rest in peace
0: CISO (laughs) Rest in peace CISO, that's right (laughs) Wow Um, CISO has since died and their show has actually moved over to Verve So you can experience it all there I first um, found out about the McElroys through a YouTube um, show they did called Monster Factory Where two of the brothers, Griffin and Justin, would basically... Um, Take video games that involved creating your own characters and they would break them and create these horrible, (laughs) disgusting, uh, gross looking monster people and then go out and play. All right. So they've got their fingers in lots of different pies, you know, um, aside from My Brother and My Brother and Me, which is their biggest podcast, they all have several other podcasts. Each one is married. Each one does at least one show with their spouse um, they have uh, their biggest side project is a D&D podcast called The Adventure Zone, and I'll touch a bit on that later. But that has also just blown up and is, uh, if not the most well-known like fantasy comedy D&D podcast right now. It's up there. Um, More than Harmontown? Uh, well, so you got to split hairs on whether Harmontown is a podcast or not, but either way, I would say yes. Okay. Uh, the Adventure Zone is amazing. It's it's silly and goofy until the moment where it becomes poignant and touching. And you know what? Let's, we can go ahead and get into it now. Um, the Adventure Zone is their side project, which they actually do with their father, Clint McElroy. And this thing, solely through word of mouth and solely through like the infamy that the McElroy brothers already had through their other shows... Uh, blew up you know it blew up on Twitter it blew up on Facebook to the point where I like I would see other people talking about it on Facebook that I like I I tangentially knew from like theater in college and people that I didn't even know were clued in on these guys were all of a sudden talking about the Adventure Zone Um, you know more than a few uh, online journals I'm pretty sure uh, I want to say the Mary Sue and I I know I've seen it a few other places have actually praised the adventure zone because of their representation of characters who are people of color, uh, characters who are queer, non-binary and, and female characters. And that is so impressive. When you go into the fact that it's just four white dudes from West Virginia who are doing all of this. Sure. I don't want to get into the plot without, because I, I don't want to spoil it. I think The Adventure Zone is actually something that everyone absolutely should listen to. If you're not a huge fantasy fan, then I can't begrudge you that. But even if you're tangentially like, oh, let's give this a try, it's, it's absolutely worth um, experiencing. And they really craft this amazing wonderful story um since then the adventure zone has actually been republished as a comic book um which blows my mind you want to talk about fingers in different pies these guys are now in podcasting they're on television and they are in print media both in terms of you know online video game articles and also now a comic book. They are spreading out everywhere. So, if you don't want to listen to the podcast but you still want to see what the big deal is, they um, just recently uh, made the print of their first arc. And that can be found through Barnes Noble, and really, if you just type in the Adventure Zone, that should be the first thing that pops up, and that's another way you can enjoy the story. I heartily recommend it. I love these boys. <laughs> I think that that's obvious by the fact that I'm choosing to talk about them, but I love them because, you know, as someone who decided that I wanted to go ahead and start a podcast with you as someone who enjoys talking into a mic for the fun of it, you know, I'm a little bit jealous of just how, how, how fantastically these guys have uh, done this this podcasting thing they've really started killing the game I can't think of any other podcast that like I was talking about before you know branching into other forms of media I can't think of any other show that has gotten this big I know there are one or two other podcasts namely serial and lore um, have been turned I think into Amazon TV shows. Huh. But no one else, to the best of my knowledge, has really expanded and built themselves up like these guys. In the past few years, they've been able to do national tours, multiple national tours. And I was lucky enough to see them when they just recently came to Orlando. And for, for people who don't know, let me set the stage. They performed not in some you know, bar, small venue or something, no these guys were performing in the dr phillips performing arts center which is the brand new amazing theater performance space and these guys sold out the walt disney theater which is the same one that the lion king was in not too long ago it is it is it is the theater it is the big space and three dudes sitting around a table talking into mics sold out the same room that you will play Cats and Avenue Q and The Lion King and, and like, full-on musicals in. And Mm -hmm. that blows my mind. I can't think of anyone else who has done that that wasn't already famous to begin
1: with. Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, there's really only two comparable podcast setups backslash... Um, touring productions, backslash, has their hands in so much media yeah. uh, that I can think of. One is Nerdist.
0: Sure, and Nerdist which, is an entire network, right?
1: Yeah, now. It started as a podcast, and oh. it turned into everything else Nerdist is. Now entering Nerdist.com Okay. Um, yeah, now, granted, that's of, of course, you know, Chris Hardwick is terrible in a lot of ways but um you know that that is worth mentioning at least like that is an entire network that started off from a podcast project and just kind of expanded i would argue smodcast just doesn't have the same reach as something like nerdist or even this the only other example i have would probably be night veil vale, which just got sure. a television deal in december of last year
0: that's right. Yeah, I, I do. Now that I think yeah. about it, remember seeing that we have some Night Vale books now.
1: Yeah, there's Night Vale books now. Uh, there's a TV adaptation. They're their own network now. They're oh. doing their own. They're doing a several other scripted narrative podcasts, as well as a couple of nonfiction ones that are super interesting. And I mean, that's that's a project that literally started because fink and craner were two like new york city theater people like they were writers and producers and they were like uh slow and we kind of want to do something new so let's do this podcast thing and let's do a scripted audio podcast because we like podcasts but i don't know of anyone who's really done this kind of thing before and so they (laughs) did that
0: sure 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 i did not know nightvale had a tv show
1: Oh, well, it's in production. Okay. Uh, it got announced in December of 2017. The producer, not not the writer, mind you, but one of the producers and development people for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is, on, is working on it. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so that's supposed to be on FX at some point. But, um, so, okay, I I look at this setup, uh, and I look at this story. I mean, it's, it's... I mean, you're right. It's kind of exactly what, you know... We we kind of all hope for yeah you know they they, they took their creative project um, clearly didn't seem to have you know I don't want to say they wouldn't have had high hopes but they probably didn't have they have probably exceeded their expectations by a fairly wide margin and I don't know it's a hopeful story like it's I have heard exactly one episode of my brother and my brother and me. And that was a friend of mine recommended that I listen to this podcast. And at that point, I think they have like, what, 400 some episodes or something
0: at this point. Yeah. And another about 100 of the Adventure Zone.
1: Yeah. So whenever I come across a podcast like that, it's always going to be daunting um, because in my heart of hearts, I'm kind of a completionist. Sure. Um, (laughs) We were talking earlier about how, or we were talking another day about how I recently turned you on to Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, which is an X-Men continuity podcast, and I have to listen to that from the beginning, and I'm like 60 episodes into a 200-episode podcast on that, but that's one I feel I have to listen to from the beginning. The one My My Brother and Me episode was, I guess their, I think it was like their 200th episode something or other, like... This one was pointed out to me as just, like, you need to listen. You should start with this episode. It's their 200th episode. And it's because it was, like, an episode where they decided to just, like, fuck with their own format or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, like, they started telling these stories about how their bodies were mutating. And one of them was, like, well, my, my human body was destroyed. And now I'm incorporated into a dog. And this is my real human man." My real human man body is no longer mine, and something like that. That like, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, and and I it was hilarious. I remember I can't tell you a single thing that happened in that episode, but I do remember laughing my ass off. And I haven't watched a single episode since because again, like I I I don't have my claws in it. It's not something I feel invested in yet. Um, maybe at some point, it'll, like it can sit. It it might just go in there with like. Game of Thrones and Mad Men as one of those things where I go, I will at some point go through this. Yeah. At some point, but we'll (laughs) see.
0: I mean, I I would say my brother and my brother and me does not have to be uh, listened to in order by any means. Each thing is its own you know freestanding episode and freestanding show there might be one or two um like references that are lost upon someone who hasn't been there the whole ride but i haven't listened to all 300 episodes i think i listened to about the first 100 um then i powered through the adventure zone because that is one that absolutely needs to be listened to from the beginning and once you once you get your claws into it really you're not going to be able to stop yourself until you listen to the whole thing Um, And since then, I've gone back and I'm listening to My Brother and My Brother and Me as it comes out. And I really don't think I've lost really all that much, except for some funny moments and some laughs. You know what I will say? I think the best way to sample these guys and to see if they're right from you... uh, One of my favorite things about YouTube now is all these wonderful uh, animators on YouTube are taking audio-based... media podcasts and 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 well pretty much just podcasts but um and they're animating these things so you can type in my brother and my brother and me animated on youtube and find dozens of four minute or less long clips that are just you know animated renditions of uh what the brothers are talking about on their show. And it's usually the funnier stuff. It's usually the more interesting stuff and it's delightful in its own regard. So I would recommend that for you. If you just want to like dip your toes back into the water and see some of their best uh, jokes and anybody else who is like, okay, I, I listen to this podcast because I love you guys, but I don't know if I want to get into something else. Um, I, I would say sampling it that way is a wonderful way to go about it.
1: Sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Are they still doing new, new episodes of both podcasts?
0: They, they are indeed. So uh, for the Adventure Zone, to get complex about it, there are specific arcs. There's arcs and then there's sub arcs. The first arc, which is called the Adventure Zone Balance, that lasts about 70 episodes. That is, when people talk about the Adventure Zone, that is pretty much what they're talking about. That has completed and it is its own story and it's done. But they've also started a new arc of the Adventure Zone where basically they stop playing D&D and they're playing this other uh, tabletop role-playing game, I believe called Monster of the Week. Um, And it's a whole new story and everyone's playing new characters and it's equally delightful. Um, But for both of those shows and for all of their myriad of other podcasts that they all do, they are pushing out new content on a regular basis. At, At time of recording, the last episode of My Brother and My Brother and Me that was released was actually the recording of their Orlando live show that I went to. They've got no sign of stopping you know they uh, they're they're trying to get season two of the TV show in the works. They're continuing to travel, and really, there's no reason these guys I can think of will really ever hang it up. At least not anytime soon.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, have you heard anyone talk about the podcasting bubble?
0: I don't think so. No.
1: Okay. So, every and anyone who hears this, like I, I recommend. Just Google, like, podcast bubble or podcasting bubble. There's a number of think pieces out there, um, some of which are more credible than others, I'm not going to lie. There's a whole lot of motherfuckers out there just trying to predict the downfall <laughs> of, like, the next bit of media. No one really predicted podcasts. In, 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 logic, in a logical sense, podcasting did not make a lot of sense mm-hmm. because it video made sense for a very long time everyone thought that okay we've got tv hitting this point we've got movies hitting this saturation point vaudeville's dead and tv's the box they're gonna bury it in back then everybody had a specialty i for one i'm a tumbler watch me leap through this big hoop the next logical step might be like youtube shorts and like create your own video and things like that podcasting felt archaic from the beginning and it was it was confusing you know why people haven't listened to radio in a significant capacity as a people haven't listened to people doing new shit in radio for a very long time radio has no yeah. maintained itself as this kind of stodgy Serial radio, narrative radio, those things are way in the past. Nobody does that except for, like, the BBC doing their special audio dramas, which get, like, no play with anyone under 70 (laughs) um, until very recently. Podcasting was weird. Podcasting came out of nowhere. Podcasting came out of a technological invention where you kind of go all right well now i have a device that i can fill with tons and tons and tons of media physical space is less of an issue uh convenience is is a plus here let me okay i'm gonna record an hour of talking basically and then put it out there for people to listen to It's it even now it even now, me, I love podcasts, but even now, me, it's hard for me to think of how I would pitch something like this, you know, 15, 20 years ago.
0: That's so fascinating because I, I kind of have, you know, the opposite take on it where it makes perfect sense to me. You know, I, I'm always fascinated by sociological changes and stuff, and it, it, it makes perfect sense to me, at least, that podcasting has supplanted talk radio. Because you're right, nobody's doing anything on radio really anymore. Nobody's doing anything on talk radio. But people are more or less doing the same thing via podcast, only now it's so much more accessible and it's so much more niche. You know, we're sitting here talking about how one of our favorite Uh, podcasts is all about the X-Men like exclusively I've got another one where it's two guys um, review old episodes of Star Trek and make fun of them and like it's become more than I think you would have been able to pitch through just the medium of radio yeah
1: yeah no and and radio would have been sitting here going like okay how do we monetize this yeah we only have so much air time we have to split it with this or this music or this infomercial podcasting does fill that nice void of you can you can listen to what you want i will tell you right now i love you dearly andrew i will probably not listen to the adventure zone because i'm not a fantasy guy yeah and that's fine and i'm not a tabletop guy i have people i love who tabletop i've tried it once or twice it's fine i don't disparage it it ain't my bag i don't i don't have that in me i might listen to like my brother my brother and me and just start like picking it up as new episodes come along like if i ever hit that point but yeah i mean i i look at this and i just kind of go uh, this one's not mine but but no um I think, I think you're right that for podcasting, it's like you find your niches. I, I talk to people who are like true crime prod- podcasts. True crime podcasts are my shit. <laughs> like, they will straight up say they've binged through Serial. They've binged through My Favorite Murder. They've binged through all of this. Like That is a whole genre of podcasting. Oh yeah, without a doubt. It's just the true crime stuff. And there's people who are so super 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 into those i look at my podcast lists and honestly like i have three news shows a couple of weird like history type of things that honestly it's less about the history than the fact that i just really like those particular podcasters i got some like nerdy comic book ones uh i'm constantly on the lookout for music podcasts uh if any of you audience have like great Music podcasts that you love, please send them to me. I'm always on the lookout for those because I would really, really like more of those. But yeah, that's like what I go through. But I look at Stephanie's podcast list, and it is way different. Sure, because she she listens to like she listens to Potterless, which is like a dude our age reading through the Harry Potter books for the first time <laughs> oh,
0: that's and delightful.
1: talking about reading through the Harry. Yeah, it's basically. Rachel and Miles explain the X-Men, but it's Harry Potter and a guy who's never read it before, and all his guests are usually people who have read it before, so he, like, just goes through and, like, reviews the books by, like, 150 pages at a time. I like that. And that's a podcast. Yeah. I listened to an episode or two, and I was like, this is cool. I don't know if I'll go through it. Maybe at some point if I just feel like I'm on a Harry Potter kick. um, That's one fantasy book that I actually have gotten through and enjoy, but... That's, but that's an entire genre now is let's take media that has existed for a while and review it yep.
0: there are enough uh, film review podcasts to uh you know fill the library of congress <laughs>
1: <clears throat> lost you again okay what was that
0: I was about to say, I, uh, for a moment, I was like, "Wow, I just made the worst joke I've ever made on the show." I got no response from him. Um, I was saying, "There's enough film what? review podcasts to like fill the Library of Congress." Um, it is, it is a widespread. Was that a joke? Eh.
1: <laughs> that that that's Andy. Jokes normally have like, I don't know, structure. Meaning they're not statements. They're not factual, just put forward, unironic statements.
0: And this is why I'm not touring the country, I guess.
1: Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Oh, dear boy. Well...
0: <laughs> In any case. That's okay. I'm... Um, yes. I very much love this art form, as I perceive it, of of talking into a mic about a thing. Um, and I really think that the McElroy brothers are some of the like kings of the industry right now. They are uh, absolutely killing the podcasting game. You know, we didn't get, even get into all three of them are happily married. All three of them have children and are still pumping out content like this. Um, they've had to quit their other jobs to support podcasting. Like, you want to talk about the dream? Um, They were able to uh, help their dad retire early after 40 years of radio just so he could basically be their MC and introduce them on their live shows and keep doing the Adventure Zone. These guys are putting out more content than almost anybody else I know and are the just just the kings of podcasting right now or at least some of the biggest names in it and i very much love them it's okay that you don't want to listen to the adventure zone i heartily recommend to anyone who is into fantasy to listen to the adventure zone i recommend to anyone who likes comedy period to listen to my brother my brother and me um and i very 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 much love them
1: awesome I'm looking at a clock now and we're past the 40 minute mark. So do you want, to? Uh, is that, is that the note that you want to leave yes. on before we move yes, on to the next that section? Is, that is my closer. <laughs> okay. Okay. Terrific. So all you out there, McElroy brothers, Hey, McElroy brothers, like if you need a random, like just extra podcast doled on if you need an opener for your live shows and opener podcasts, um, I start at 50 grand a year, uh, plus benefits. And it goes up from there. So, and
0: I'll do it for free, and you'll get Alex with me.
1: <laughs> I'm glad. I'm 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 glad we understand each other. <laughs>
0: uh, oh
1: God. Okay.
0: Shall we move on? Let's indeed. What do you hate, my friend?
1: Oh, Andy. That's that's a question. What do you hate um,
0: today? <laughs> what?
1: Oh, jeez. Okay. Well, folks. Spoiler alert, because most of you have probably read the title. Yeah, probably but uh but uh i'm gonna start this off the way that i always start so and andy i want to ask you if i mention the phrase organic food what comes to mind for you
0: a washbish um blonde woman in a california supermarket uh scrutinizing her produce section
1: okay okay so that is interesting you so you don't even think of the food as as the central point of that you think of the identity of a person attached to it yeah
0: i i take that straight to the uh my perception of the kind of person who uh cares vehemently about getting organic food and will let you and everyone else at the restaurant know i don't associate with anyone who eats conventional food i'm in a social class above that
1: okay okay no i I get this and and it's it's a complicated emotion for me on that front because in my experience as a vegetarian I'm I'm not a preachy vegetarian. I've said this multiple times. I don't evangelize it. It's it's what works for me. I mean, goddamn I'm married to someone who is not a vegetarian. Like pointedly so. Yeah. Like it's it's very much a me thing. But there's a stereotype attached to vegetarians that often kind of seems to go hand in hand with the organic food stereotyping and and this idea that by existing, it's evangelizing. And and that is frustrating. However, unlike with vegetarianism, where I say this is a personal choice that I have made because for me, I feel as though it is a more ethical way for me to live my life. Fuck organic food.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So So I'm going to... I'm going to run down a couple of basics on this and then, and then I, I kind of want to yell and and I want to talk and I want to yell some more. So we'll, we'll see how this ends up going. Um, to put it, to put it basically uh, organic food, this, the actual standards of organic food can vary wildly from one country to another, but all of them are generally understood that, 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 that nomer of organic food uh, is generally understood to prom- is, uh, food that is cultivated and raised to promote biodiversity, avoid quote unquote unnatural farming and livestock practices, and we'll get to that, and to cycle resources. Okay. In, re- in reality, in, in actual practice terms, it's a goddamn marketing term, especially in the U.S. The USDA, the US Department of Agriculture gives out organic certification based on compliance with a handful of standards which you can which you can absolutely look up and read in full. Uh, the short list of it is a very small web page. The long list of it is a 600 page document. Uh, <laughs> but to give you to give you some basics that stand out to me, um, pesticides. Andy. Do you know that organic food is grown with pesticides?
0: That seems contradictory.
1: So pesticides are perfectly acceptable under organic food standards in the U.S. as long as they are quote-unquote natural. Uh, Among organic-approved pesticides, we have copper sulfate and pyrethrin, uh, which have been shown to increase instances of liver damage and leukemia, respectively, in people who interact with them. The frogut is also cursed. That's bad. But you get your choice of topping. That's good. The toppings contain potassium benzoate. That's bad.
0: You know, I was going to ask, what is a organic pesticide? And uh, I'm, I'm now terrified at the answer here. Copper
1: sulfate is an organic pesticide. Uh, organic approved natural fertilizers and composting methods. Uh, the shit that our food grows in. Literally. Uh, Yes. Nothing wrong with it, actually. But, uh, well, let me say this. It has a larger carbon footprint than its synthetic equivalents. Now, part of this does get into the kind of back and forth of how much of this applies to your little community garden or, like, if you're growing tomatoes out in your backyard versus a giant factory farm. A lot of this stuff... You can you can buy that natural fertilizer and use it in your backyard, and arguably your carbon footprint will be minimalized. But when you're looking at an actual organic farm that's using all these resources, the output, the issues involved go way harder. Um, one last point: crop yields with organic farming. Uh, are such are so low that a multi-crop farm can use an needs to use an average of 84% more farmland to grow equivalent amounts of food and the resource needs and waste for that land is equivalent so you need 84% more land to grow the same bushel of corn or raise the same pound of meat for an organic farm as you do for a non-organic farm that's using technological means sure and th- synthetic th- that
0: means. makes that makes complete sense to me as you say it i think about how i wonder how many people have forgotten the reason we got out of quote unquote non-organic food practices was a demand of the increase of society and the, the boom of population and all of these things that like there are, there are so many more people that are alive and need the food now than there were 150 years ago. So it makes perfect sense to me that you, you say that we needed to, utilize the space differently we needed less of it at the same time while having more food that's just a byproduct of of, of technology
1: yeah and and i want to be i want to be very very particular here because i don't want to talk about my hate of the organic food label and organic marketing like the marketing of quote-unquote organic products as a way to kind of backdoor say, no, everything needs to be done on, like, avoid any of those sustainability practices, avoid anything that would promote biodiversity, avoid just go with the corporate model, don't even regulate it. No, I, I am not there at all. My argument is that progressively minded but scientifically literate farming practices. Mm. And and livestock re- like I don't even eat the livestock, but I'm still saying I would rather deal with like a progressively minded, yeah, standard farm that's using that that's trying for things like sustainability and biodiversity that is doing this intelligently that isn't going with the Monsanto method or or the Dole banana method or the Chiquita method or any of that stuff. I. For me, it's just a matter of, there are a whole lot of people out there, that going back to your you know, person scrutinizing her produce market, um, there's folks that are out there that put a lot of money into something like buying something with an organic USDA label, and they think that it's doing some good. Mm-hmm. In reality, it might be doing good in one regard, like, okay, orga- organic meat. Um, organic meat uh, does avoid using artificial growth hormones and certain antibiotics um, that's good That's that. I, I think that is something that the organic food rationale gets really right some people seem to think that if you know meat is raised organically that means that it was properly free range mm-hmm. and the animals were raised by hand and given loving names and Killed at old age when they were probably going to die anyway. Like there, there's this conflation with organic with sustainable or humane or ethical. And really it just means they passed a the test, huh. you know?
0: Well, cause that does always seem to be the, um, the first counter argument of, um, you know, somebody who is against the unethical treatment of farm animals and, you know, uh, mass milking farm practices and and slaughterhouse practices. That is sort of the notion they put out into the world that organic meat is is raised better, raised right. Yeah. So it's not the case you're saying.
1: No, no, not by a long shot. Um, if it's raised in a factory, it's not going to meet those standards. Uh, You may not... And I'm not going to get into those details. That's not the conversation I'm trying to have. Uh, Some of you may be eating while you're listening to this. Um, But my point is, if you want to know that you're eating in an ethical way, in a healthier way, in in a way that's going to actually do a little bit of good in the world, it does kind of take learning a little bit more about what you're doing. And if you have to make ethical compromises about what you're eating, that's, I, I'm actually okay with that. You know, we've talked on this, ep- on the show before about needing to make those ethical compromises, whether it's because of money or availability, scarcity, uh, time, yeah. uh, energy, what have you. It's okay. If you have to make those, those decisions, But paying more, paying more money for something that's just labeled organic when in reality organic food isn't shown to be any better for you, any better for the environment, any better for the people working, any better for anyone except for the people who put that label on the food, maybe put your energy elsewhere. Maybe take that little bit of extra money and see if you can instead divert that, what you were going to spend on that organic food and maybe take a minute to call a farm in, in a nearby radius and see if they sell directly to consumer. It will cost more than the grocery store low brand, but you're going to be spending that money on organics anyway. Maybe that's a better place to put it. Or... Maybe you buy the regular shit that's not organic and you instead take that money and put it to some good use elsewhere. Shut up and take my money. I just, I hate that this, that, I hate that good intentions are marketed this sure. way, the way that they are with organic food. And I hate the, that there's this organic culture, again, that person in the grocery store that came to mind for you. It feels like that co-opted hippie movement, anti-vaxxer, crunchy ass <laughs> concept of I'm better than anyone because I honestly just have more money to spend on a label. And that's all it is, is a label. So I felt like ranting about organic food because i I live in, I live in a place where this shit gets—restaurants put forward— very quickly that they have organic food
0: yeah yeah, and it pisses me yeah off. you're in one of them college towns
1: not even just a college town like it's Asheville it's a hippie yeah, town yeah, yeah. in a lot of ways there are a lot of Appalachian hippies out here um, there's and there's a lot of you know well-meaning urban progressives but well-meaning urban progressives who don't think very deeply about what they're buying aren't doing any practical good they have good intentions. But, you know, I I I would rather see I'm more inclined to buy from the restaurants or the stores that are talking about locally sourced rather than organic.
0: Mm.
1: Because locally sourced has an actual impact on that environment. And I would and it does require me to actually look up. How close does a place need to be in order to be able to put down locally sourced? Because uh, in North Carolina, that law states that they have to be uh, physically grown and or shipped from 50 miles from place of purchase. Huh, okay, 50, 50 miles is, I mean, it's farther than a lot of us would probably like to think. But that's the rules of Asheville, North Carolina, in Buncombe County, like... I don't know that it's the same in Orlando. I don't know if it's the same in Camden, New Jersey, where I used to be. I don't know if it's the same in California, where that produce mom is shopping. I don't know. I, and and if you're a consumer, I, I'm i of the opinion of you, you should be encouraged to actually look up what this shit really means, especially for where you are, What if that's something you plan to put your energy
0: yeah, into. Yeah, I mean, that's the rub, isn't it? I think we've talked about this before, the... The um, low key um, laziness of uh, or, or ignorance. Ignorance is a better word, I think, of people to not put in the effort to actually look into what they're doing. You know, I I, I absolutely support your argument, and I think you made it in in a very compelling and different way than. Uh, than I originally thought when we started this conversation, you know I haven't thought about reaching out and and finding locally sourced stuff i It wouldn't have occurred to me that cutting out the middleman of the grocery store and trying to actually go straight to the uh, you know the farm and go literally farm to table. That 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 right there is a slogan that a lot of places like to use now too. And I think it's worth scrutinizing if they're actually doing it. But to really do farm to table seems like a good way, at least, to preserve the real mentality you have if you're someone who wants to have organic food.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And and again. Maybe this conversation doesn't apply to you. Maybe you weren't buying organic anyway because it's not your particular issue. That's fine. I got no qualms with that, but if nothing else, I've given you ammunition for when you do run into that crunchy-ass person <laughs> who's very confused as to why you're not buying the organic avocados and and are instead buying buying the non-organics, which are, you know, something you can actually afford, but... It's frustrating. I hate I hate shorthand for ethics. Ethics suck. (laughs) Ethics are hard. Ethics are complicated, and I I cannot abide it being made easy. And I'm less mad. And here's the thing: as much hate as I'm directing at that crunchy ass person, I am less angry at them than I am at you know the USDA, like the very people who are supposed to be monitoring this stuff less mad at them than I am at uh Tyson Chicken or Walmart or any of these companies that make the money off of this yeah. stuff because because there is a lot of profit to be made in deceiving people of this and this little podcast will not deceive very many people or will not will not change the deceit by in too many people but it's my way of just kind of screaming into the ether read motherfuckers <laughs> look at it just a little more deeply read a book read a book read a motherfucking book don't be taken in by the marketing like oh now i'm
0: with the 100% man viva la revolution scream it from the rooftop oh <laughs> 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 uh, i and
1: and i got to be nice because some actually some people i love dearly are in marketing and i got no beef with y'all But some of your colleagues in other companies just are geniuses, evil, evil geniuses.
0: Well, unfortunately, it seems like that's what makes the world go round in a lot of regards. Um, But, you know, if we can if we can get one person and you've already gotten one person, me to uh you know at, at the very least rethink some of their habits and commit to putting a little more intentionality into figuring out how they get their stuff. I think I think the important thing is it doesn't matter what you're eating just know what you're eating and make sure that yep. falls in line with your own personal situational ethics, you know. Yeah. That's all you can do.
1: So before we move yeah so before we move on to the final segment, I do want to say, uh, I'll put these in the show notes, but, uh, a lot of my citations here, uh, come from, uh, an article on Forbes, uh, why I don't buy organic and why you might want, you might not want to either. Uh, and then a telegraph article called think organic food is better for you animals and the planet. Think again, those will be linked in the show notes. I also want to direct everyone to an episode of Penn and Teller's bullshit, Uh, where they talk about organic food and it is hilarious and wonderful. And I think it's on Amazon prime. Um, so I highly recommend that episode. I don't remember the title of it. Uh, but just look up Penn and Teller bullshit, organic food. It'll pop up.
0: Yo, if Penn and Teller's bullshit is on Amazon prime, I'm watching that tonight.
1: <laughs> uh it's it's on one of my streamers I know. I I'm pretty sure that it's Amazon Prime, but it might be it might be Hulu. Fingers crossed.
0: Sure. They're they're usually pretty good. You can find most of their stuff on YouTube.
1: Yeah, I just I love that show. That show is so oh, totally. good. Okay. Awesome, man. Um last segment?
0: Let's get to it.
1: Okay. So, uh there's a question that came into our email account a bit ago. Love, hate, relationship podcast at gmail.com. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, you can also submit questions on our website, lovehaterelationship.net There's a section right there for submitting your questions, or you can DM us. We, we will take your questions, however you decide to deliver them to us happily. Andy, you still there? Yeah, I'm here, buddy. Okay, cool. All right, so let's get started. You want to read or shall I? Uh, go ahead. Okay. Hi, guys. This is not a hypothetical question. My supervisor at my job straight up sucks. She takes okay. credit for her team's work, lies to upper management about her team, i.e. blames us for her failures, procrastinates on her tasks, and dumps them on her team just before their deadlines, and other various shitty things. We, being myself and my coworkers under my supervisor... I've gone to the president of the company and I've complained about her more than once. He says he values us and he's working with her to correct her quote-unquote bad habits. But we haven't seen any improvement. It's been over six months. How would you handle it from this point? We feel like he will always take her side over ours. We don't want to quit, but we feel we're out of options. Hmm. This person did not leave a name, Andrew.
0: I know. We're going to have to name them. Oh, oh. no.
1: Oh no, is this, is this what all new parents face as they <laughs> stare their child in the eye and they go, hmm, okay, how do I not name you something shitty?
0: <laughs> well, if you're like me, you just run out of comic book characters until you find one your spouse likes.
1: Who's Mariah's favorite comic book character?
0: Uh, you know, no lie, for a long time we were committed to Harley for a girl. Uh. <laughs> well, i say were i'm not gonna i'm not gonna shoehorn us into this but uh and then uh we had richard and logan uh richard as in dick Grayson, richard <laughs> and i think those names work just fine
1: okay so shall we uh sh- shall we consider this person harley and we can call her supervisor the joker
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that works that's an appropriate way, metaphor hey remember me that big charity bash a few years back the one the joker rocked i was the clown girl holding the gun on you
1: by the way for any of you out there who don't keep up on the comics harley and the joker have not actually been together for a very long time i think she's has she she's tried to kill him at least a couple of times the last she, time they interacted she, in the comics
0: yeah she has in canon kicked the shit out of the joker and i think is in a canonical relationship with poison ivy at this point That's will we'll,
1: we'll, we'll see if we can figure that out but <laughs> uh yeah okay so hello hi. harley hi harley um let's see your interactions with the joker um andrew do you have initial thoughts for this uh very toxic relationship here
0: I mean, I'm, I'm happy for you in that you've already done a lot of stuff that's right, and I think there are a lot of things that are organically in your favor with the situation. Uh, it's not just you. It is, in fact, your entire team of coworkers. Uh, for the purposes of this metaphor, they are now hyenas. I hope they're okay with that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you, okay. You, have, you have a team. You have people with you um, you've you've already taken uh, you know one of the first steps and tried to go above your supervisor's head. It's unfortunate that it looks like that's not working out, but it shows that you are doing the right thing and thinking on your feet. You know, I also i i really like to believe that people who act in the way that your supervisor is acting in the situation eventually get their comeuppance and you can only pass the buck and steal people's credit and, uh, you know, make yourself look better when in actuality you're being a schmuck so far. But, you know, to sit here and say that karma is going to sort it out. Isn't the extent of the advice that I want to give. Um, I, I, Wonder if it's at all possible to talk to your supervisor. Um, this would obviously have to be handled in the most non-confrontational of ways because you know I, I'm not advocating go yell at your boss who has firing power over you. But you know, you've talked to the president of the company and it doesn't seem like anything's being done. I I feel like there's gotta be some way, even if it's, you know, coming at it from a completely different angle and not coming at it from a place of frustration or anger, but coming at it from it as a place of positivity to try and engage the Joker and try to work things out that way. You know, this takes a lot on you and your team. This takes a lot of at the very least kind of figuring out establishing less of a boss worker dynamic and trying to establish more of a hey, how can I help you? Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's going on in your life? You know, I mean to give them the benefit of the doubt, but um, you know, maybe there is something going on in your supervisor's life that causes them to act this way at work. And maybe it's possible to help that. And in helping your boss, or uh, even if it's not helping a problem, establish a relationship, build a better relationship with your boss. And then all of a sudden your boss likes you more. Maybe that convinces them to stop shafting you so much. What do you got, man?
1: (sighs) Okay, Harley. Andy, that was a very mature, thoughtful, uh, (laughs) kind-hearted...
0: Optimistic as, naive as hell.
1: That was a goodly response, and I commend you for it. (laughs) Harley, I say prepare for battle. If you have gone to the president of this organization, the very highest tether you can possibly go, more than once, you explicitly state... You went more than once. You do not have the support of the authority above you. Uh, I have mentioned on this podcast more than once my own self that I have qualms with authority. I don't trust authority. I don't trust your boss. I don't trust your president. I don't think you do either. Now, I am not by saying prepare for battle, recommending big, huge, flaring conflict, because that's just going to shoot you in the foot. Andy is completely right about this needing to be not a big, huge, direct conflict, because there's no version of that where where your supervisor, where the Joker and this president, let's call him the mayor, uh, where the Joker and the mayor... Don't just go, well, you just made a big conflict. Bye. Like, and they have the ability to do that. I don't think you're union. I know what state you're writing this from, Harley. You're not union. No. <laughs> you don't have those protections. So I would say protect yourself. I would say find every means of documentation you have. You have meetings with this president. Put it down in memos. Put put review copy of it down in memos and send it to your HR people. Send it to your secretary. Send it to the secretary of the president. Get it in faces. Get it in places where it will be saved. Your boss dumps things on you before deadlines. Save it all. Save all the good work that you do. Save everything that she's doing. You don't have a higher authority you can appeal to. You do have a higher authority that you might be able to, through dint of excessive example, show that you have a significant case for why the person that is fucking all this shit up for you is fucking all this shit up for you. Now again, Andy's right. You don't go in with a big confrontation. You don't throw a stack of documentation on, your, on the president's desk and say, here's all the ways that she has been fucking us for the last six months or for the last year. You go in and you say, this was a situation that we just had to deal with. This is not productive to us. This is not productive to this organization. Try spinning it like that. Try spinning it as, I have paper proof here that this person, your employee who you are dismissing as having bad working habits, her bad working habits have gone so, so much time without being addressed and without improvement that it is costing your bottom line. It is costing your productivity. It is costing the well-being of your other employees. Make it a marketable decision to discipline or remove her. I can't promise that'll work it really sucks that you say something like, we don't want to quit because if that's the case, you might not have any options. I can give you, Andy can give you this thoughtful advice in terms of, Hey, maybe you can reach out and build a relationship here. I can give you this advice and say, Hey, maybe you can reach above and guilt and argue and cite yourself into a place where you can adjust this relationship. But if you're not willing to potentially end this relationship, when any of those, that situational advice doesn't work out, you might be signing up for your own misery.
0: Yeah, it it is unfortunate. You know, the other thing I want to talk about is in the interest of realism, I understand you don't want to quit, but, if your direct supervisor is such a jackass, you know, are you under threat of being fired? You know, You have a team of people. That means you have that many more people who can be hunting for jobs and hunting for, um, an opportunity that probably not all of you would be able to jump ship to, but, you know, at least a couple of you and, and no matter how else you play out the situation, it is in your best interest to have your eye on the next opportunity. You know, you could uh, do what Alex is saying and present the this documentation to the president, prove to them empirically that your supervisor is a bad employee, and the president could still fire you for personal reasons of you know okay the whole department is going away and we're starting from scratch and then you are still in out of a job and in a potentially worse situation than the one you're writing us from so I think it is most definitely in your best interest to work with your team um, a to figure out the best way of getting your supervisor to stop their behavior whether that is with uh the carrot or the stick i think we've presented you both of those options but also to work with your team to in the interest of everybody as a whole you know at least have a landing pad in mind for if the ship goes down yeah
1: i mean a contingency plan is smart i just I I I am a planner for worst case scenarios, and so I think that's very sound. I know you don't want to quit. I know I get it. I I really really do get that, uh, and I'm not encouraging you to quit. I don't think Andy is either. Um, you're not right.
0: No, I'm not encouraging. Them. I'm not encouraging them to quit. I'm just encouraging them to whether it is through quit or being fired have an idea of where the next job is.
1: Yeah. I mean, whenever possible, that's, that's helpful. It's we do not exist. I know I've talked about this before. We do not exist in a system currently economically speaking, job market speaking, where, where it's beneficial to value employees. And where it is beneficial to really keep a strong thumb on problematic supervisors. Um, I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in retribution of that natural capacity. And I do think there are a lot of people who get real far ahead in life on the back of being manipulative deceptive taking credit where it was not due uh dumping things off and just being real real good at being bad at your job uh there are people who get ahead that way and that's not right and i don't think there's anything that can stop that from happening other than intercession ideally that intercession comes from above in your case it's not, and and taking those contingency plans into to heart are really really important, especially if you don't want to continue being miserable at your job. Uh, and that's a real possibility. Uh, it's you know it's the office space thing. Yeah. Most people don't like their jobs. Most people don't, and they just won't. Um, it'd be great if you could. Uh, and I would say, take aggressive tactics to try, and if this is a job you want to keep, take aggressive tactics to guard yourself and defend yourself for that. Paper helps with that numbers help with that
0: you know, show show the money trail um you know, most presidents in my experience, the, the people who own companies are usually pretty focused on you know, upward momentum and financial stability. And so if you can show hard data that says the joker, your supervisor, is a bad employee and a detriment to the company, that should work. But we don't live in a world of should. Um, So I think in this case, the best offense is both offense and defense. And you can, you know, do your research and save your emails and have all the ammunition to take the Joker out. But it is also imperative that you do guard yourself and that you do have a contingency plan and, and work with your people, your team and try to come up with the contingency plan that can be most effective for the most of your people. And if you do those things, um, you know, I'm, I'm more fascinated than some of the questions we've gotten to hear how this goes out. I think this is, uh, this has the potential to be pretty dramatic and dire. So I, 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 I really hope that this works out in your favor, Harley.
1: Yep. And after all this goes down, you can go home and nuzzle up to poison Ivy and be careful what she serves you to drink that, that sometimes ends poorly, but, but just, just unwind a little. You'll, you'll have deserved it by then.
0: Absolutely. Okay. We hope this helps. Uh, we will be checking up and asking about you in, for, <laughs> in future episodes. So and please
1: send the updates.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Andy, where can they send those updates?
0: They can send those updates to Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, if you are listening and you have a job situation that is not – uh, the way you want it to be, which is most of us. If you have a relationship problem with a loved one, a friend, a, a another coworker, really anything that could be considered a relationship. And you want our questions about them. Uh, you can send those to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com. We promise we will read them.
1: Yes. Uh, I'm going to put a request out right now. I want a pet relationship question. Somebody send in a question about a relationship with a pet. Because I've never had a pet. Andy has had several and some cool ones. I think that'd be fun. So, putting that request out into the ether. If you're having a relationship question with a pet, send it.
0: I can already tell you, we'll name you Tarzan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can... uh, christ you can subscribe to us on itunes google play stitcher spotify TuneIn radio hi mom and youtube you can also tweet us at lhr pod that's lhr with any of your questions or comments and you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes
0: you can follow me i'm andy bowell and uh i am at JovoCop2113.
1: And I'm Alex Ruiz, and I'm at A underscore X underscore R U I Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, please tell your enemies.